I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine and has some of the best products out there, including their just-released 15 and 60 Go Boxes. These are durable, stackable, dust- and watertight storage that's great for organizing and transporting all your favorite gear to and from the field. I actually got to test some of these this past season and put them through the paces traveling from hunt to hunt. It kept my stuff accessible and protected. Practical in so many situations, from raft trips down the river to elk camp in the Rockies, it's nearly indestructible, go-anywhere storage that's now available. Welcome back to Live Wild Podcast, everyone. As we continue on the topic of bow hunting, the summer is prime time to practice shooting. And we've all heard the saying, practice makes perfect. Well, honestly, that's not true. The wrong kind of practice doesn't have that much benefit. Shooting at dots and foam on level range is fine for sighting in, but in reality, it doesn't do a ton for what you're going to encounter in the field. With every species of game animal so different, this week I'm breaking down practice shots by species. We're going to be covering the majority of western big game animals. And while I think all these shots are great for a multitude of game animals, we're going to look at a few that come in handy for each species specifically targeted. Every year when I look at the tags that I have for that season, these are the type of shots that I make sure to put reps in before the hunt and during the summer to be ready for that specific tag. So on this podcast, we're going to cover elk, mule deer, antelope, whitetails, moose, sheep and goats, as well as bears, and a few of the best practice shots for each species. So let's dive in. As we look at practicing for each specific species, I think that we have to kind of think about the scenarios that we encounter or most often likely to encounter when we're hunting that particular animal. So when I'm hunting elk during the archery season, I'm hunting kind of in a different way than I might be hunting mule deer or sheep. Now you are going to encounter some of the same things. So of course, hey, throw in a few of these shots for, you know, one, whatever, for every species, you can throw in some of these shots. But there are going to be a few things that I ramp up during practice sessions that are species specific. So I look at the tags that I have this year. I have a mule deer tag. I have an elk tag. And thankfully, fortunately, I actually drew a desert sheep tag. So that desert sheep tag is my primary focus. And the type of shots for sheep, I'm going to just be ramping those up more than the others. But here's kind of my run through based on the type of shots that I increase preseason based on the tags that I have. So let's talk about elk and elk hunting scenarios. I've got three shots here that I really think are valuable when it comes to elk hunting success. Now, the first shot we're going to call the long hold. This is for those encounters where you're calling in a bull, the bull holds up, and you're already at full draw. I think just as a guide and noticing and taking other people hunting, the mistake most hunters make is they either draw at the wrong time, they draw when the bull's right there and now he can see you draw, or they draw and they aren't ready to hold as long as they need to. The bull stops because he hears something or he's just looking around and they don't have a good shot. This happens a lot on called in bulls. And the reason for that is they've got a big shoulder blade. It's hard to shoot through that shoulder blade. I don't take that shoulder blade shot. But as they're coming in, that's the kind of the shot they're offering. So you're either waiting for it to turn fully facing you or pass you in some way. And oftentimes it's the opportune time to draw is when they're behind something. But they might be stopped. And if you let down, you're going to get busted. So the long hold shot is really important when it comes to elk hunting. And what I like to do is I start to increase the reps. I've talked about this in the past, but I think this one needs to be talked about every year because there's guys that just don't practice this. You need to learn to be comfortable holding back. And there's a couple ways you want to hold back. You want to do it in a way where you're just ready at full draw and where 
if maybe that bull can't see, maybe you can kind of rest yourself a little bit. A couple of things you don't want to happen. You don't want to get weak and let it fling forward. So this is the way that I do this practice. This is a good one too. If you're, you don't have a lot of range time or you don't have a long range, maybe you're just shooting in your garage for the season. You can't get to the range every day. You can do this one with no distance if you had to, because you're really practicing that hold. So the way that I start out, I time it, I, I draw back and I just hold for pretty much as long as I can. until I start to get wobbly and weak and then let that shot go off. And I record the time. So you might start with 30 seconds, then work up to a minute, then work up to two minutes. I don't know. I should go back through some videos because there are some times where I've been at full draw for what feels like five minutes. I don't know if that's true. You know, it's probably probably a minute and a half. But there are times where you're at full draw for a very long time. A minute longer, who knows? There's times where I've had to let down and, you know, you want to make sure you can practice letting down controlled as well. But for this shot, what we're going to do is we're going to work up that time and that strength. And all we're concerned about is making one great shot after holding for a long time. So going to start out, if you haven't done this before, start out slow and just do like five, 10 reps of shorter long ones, 30 seconds, 20 seconds, whatever you can work up to. You, you want to get that muscle memory going. A lot of staying at full draw is mental. I mean, honestly, it's just like anything else. Obviously, finger behind the trigger, you don't want to punch it and send an arrow, especially if you're doing this in your garage. I've seen guys do it. I, I know some friends that have sent some arrows through some garage roofs. Uh, won't say their name, won't put them on blast, but it happens, right? They're practicing this and hand was in front of the trigger, whatever, and jump forward because they got tired and there goes a shot. So we want to make sure everything's safe and we're just going to be drawn back, holding longer, and we're going to work on precision and time. So first we're going to work on time and we're going to work on not panicking during that shot. So you're going to be drawn back, you're going to be fatigued. So you, you get that time built up. And you're also going to simultaneously be working on precision. You want that arrow to go where it's supposed to. It's no good if you can hold it for a long time and can't shoot it right. You, you get that rush and then you slap the trigger and the shot goes off bad. What we want to do is we want to build up that strength and those long holds. What I start to do as I get closer to the season is I'll do one real long hold and it's one shot. Like I don't even worry about taking a lot of shots. I go one long hold till I pretty much can't do anymore, time myself, try to beat the yesterday's record, whatever. Keep, keep track of these things on your phone. Get your personal best and then take that shot. And I like to do this practice personally at 20 and 40 yards because I think that those are two good elk ranges um, that you, know, you, you primarily encounter when you're calling in bulls. So we're going to do the long hold. We're going to practice on increasing that time to as much as possible. And we're going to figure out what our max is. How long can we hold? And then kind of continue building that, building that, building out. Like just like any workout, just like any running, anything like that, anything you're doing that's physical or maybe out of your wheelhouse, this is a really good one to practice. This is good for a lot of scenarios, but I think elk hunting, you encounter this more than anything. And there's so many stories of if I could have just held a little bit longer, I would have had that bull. As a guide, as a hunter, these are the things you encounter. Scenario two in elk hunting. And this is one that I didn't realize I needed. And I start watching. This is, I think a lot of these come from guiding lots of hunters archery season. And the way that you get into different scenarios, this also involves, I think a little bit of the elk type of terrain, but calling as well. And I call this shot the lean out. Now think about a standard elk hunting scenario. You're calling in a bull. You might be in a lot of the West is like lodge pole type country. You're you have a lot of success calling bulls in when it's a little bit thicker. You're set up, but the bull comes in a different way than you're expecting, or you've got something behind you and you need to lean a little bit left or right to clear whatever's in front of you. I like to set up in front of good obstructions, but even then there's times where the scenario isn't perfect. Last year, for example, I had a bull come in and it was like, he stood in one spot forever and I had to lean into position to get my shot. So what happens when you do these leans is you're leaning out, but you're putting really undue torque on the bow. And this could be in, you know, still hunting scenarios as well, where you're in the timber and you've got a shot, but like the 
you've got the head behind the tree, you draw back, but the, his vitals are blocked. Now you're really edging on, okay, can I feed it through this patch of timber? And as you lean out, what happens is you change the, your grip on the bow, you change the string pressure on your face, you change your everything because you're pushing out. And what that does is it, it changes a lot of the way that that arrow is coming out of that bow. And depending on how far the shot is, you're talking about small margins of error because you're shooting very close to a tree. And if you've got some weird thing going on with your form, you're going to send it into the tree probably or send it further back than you want or higher than you want or whatever. This is one that I see where it's like a gimme shot and a guy either hits the tree or makes a marginal shot. And it was because he was leaning out and he was putting a weird torque on that bow. So we're going to practice this in the backyard. This doesn't have to be close, or I mean, it doesn't have to be far, sorry. But you can, this is another thing you can practice when you're close. You want your feet planted, and you want to just kind of lean your body out. The way that I do it is, is just like taking an angled shot where you're using your hips. It's like lean with the hips. Lean with your body and try to make sure to keep everything from your anchor point the same. Another option is potentially practicing moving your feet but not a lot so if you can kick one leg out and kind of adjust your stance that's great these are really hard when you can't take a step right there's like times where that bull's locked on you and you just need to he can't see you but you know if you shuffle your feet or whatever it's it's over so you just have to lean out so one of the things that i do is i think of my hip in a pendulum and you're putting your body in a weird position it takes a little bit of practice to get this down and you're leaning and i do it both ways forward and backward it's a hard shot. Once you just do it a couple of times, you're going to go, whoa, I didn't realize how difficult this is. But when we're in a hunting scenario, we don't think about it. We lean out, we take that shot. So getting those reps in before the season. So when that happens, you know how to keep everything the same. You know how to keep your grip the same. You know how to keep the string pressure the same. You're essentially putting that anchor point and everything. And instead of leaning into the bow or, or tweaking things weird with your hands, you're leaning your, at your waist, I guess, is the best way to, to describe it. And then rebalancing the bow. And so as you do that, push forward, push backward, take a few of those shots and just understand what it does and what it feels like to make a good shot that way. And then practice that. Get that muscle memory for making those good lean out shots. Now the third one for elk, and this is fairly calling specific, but archery season, I see this happen all the time. We're calling in a bull. It's like bull screaming. He's holding up. He's holding up. He's not coming in. Now he pops out at 30. And the guy's got his pin set for 30 and he's locked in. He's already at full draw. And now that bull decides to come to whoever's calling. And that bull walks into 15 yards. And you go, that's a gimme, right? I mean, you put your sight on the bull and everything's on it. Should be able to release that arrow and kill that bull. It's like a no-brainer. And what happens is it becomes a no-brainer. You don't think. You shoot, and I see so many bulls get backstrap shot this way where they didn't think to under-aim or adjust for the closer yardage. So on this aim under for close shots, I like to set my pin at something, 30 yards, and then I'll put that target at 15 yards. And I want to make sure that I hit that bullseye because this is something that it just... I see it all the time where your brain doesn't process that change in distance. And we are used to holding over holdovers are, I mean, you start doing holdovers with a BB gun, a red rider BB gun when you're 10 years old or less, right? Like it's just something you do. You hold over the target to compensate for drop. Holding under is a different switch in the mind. And so practicing for those close shots, and I'm even saying like, go eight yards, go 15 yards, go 20 yards, practice those, set your pin and hold unders. Because uh, even if you got, let's say, now this is especially for single pin sites, right? But let's say you've got multiple pins and your lowest pin's 20, practice those six and eight yard shots and understand what happens when that bull comes into close range. That should be the easiest shot you ever take. And I've seen those shots get messed up. That's not a shot that you want to be second guessing where you hit that bull. You want that bull so dead, it's not even funny. And half the time, you're practically looking down your arrow for those shots. Like, it, it is a gimme. It's, it's like, I think of it like this. If you, I don't watch a lot of golf, but I have golfed. And those putts that are so close, you're just going to tap it in. So you don't really do a great, you're just like, tap, I'm going to get it in. And it doesn't go in the hole. Like that should have been just an easy swipe in the hole, but you were so confident and it was so easy that you muffed it. This is the absolute worst thing that could happen on an elk hunt. And this is something that you need to practice. 
All right, we're going to jump over to Mule Deer. Now, Mule Deer is a spot and stock game. If we're talking archery seasons, a lot of them can be early. Now, there's a lot during the rut as well. But I think about Mule Deer hunting is often open country. It's broken country. That's where Mule Deer like to live and survive. If you've watched my outdoor class, I really break down the types of Mule Deer country and why they like to live there. But it's an adapted advantage. They like that broken country. They're in the mountains. They're in rough terrain and they've got extremely good hearing so when you do an approach it has to be quiet it has to be unseen oftentimes i'm stalking a deer that's bedded and so these are some shots that are often encountered when i'm hunting mule deer now the first shot is a scenario where you've stalked in you're in on a bedded buck and this is exactly what you want right you're waiting for that buck to stand now when that buck stands here's where things fall apart because you're probably going to be sitting and you might be sitting there for a while. Now, you might be standing, whatever, it just depends on the situation. This particular shot is a kneeling downhill shot. So you're going to be essentially going from the ground where you're waiting for a buck to up and kneeling and taking a shot. There's a few things that happen during the shot that mess a hunter up. One is a lot of people will have, they'll be kneeling, they'll got one knee up and one knee down and their front knee's up. I have seen and had friends where their limb slaps their leg at release. So they're drawn back. There's tension under the limb. They don't feel it on their leg. They release the bow and that limb, boom, goes back up and smashes their leg. And that sends the arrow just going crazy. There's a few ways that I do this. So I either use both knees on the ground or I call it the reverse Heisman where I've got my back knee up. So my limb doesn't hit my knee. That's something you definitely want to practice. You want to find a hill and practice shooting from your knees downhill. One thing you want to think about when you're setting up for this shot is like imagine just like you're shooting standing, a lot of people kind of let things go when they get into these scenarios, but it's also because they haven't practiced them. So when you're standing shooting, the best form is imagine like a yardstick on your toes pointing at the kill zone of the buck. You want the same for your knees. You, If you were to lay a yardstick across your knees, you want it pointing at the buck you don't want your body in a weird position so get set up and sit ready for that and then practice those shots kneeling shooting downhill the second shot we're going to practice is the exact same thing but kneeling uphill a couple years back i had a scenario where the wind was wrong for an i like to sneak from the uphill down on mule deer but sometimes it's not possible depending on the shade and the wind sometimes you have to sneak in from below and when you're sneaking in from below, you are not going to be rising up to standing. That's just, they're looking that direction. It's a very hard stalking shot to pull off. So shooting uphill, I feel like is a lot more difficult than shooting downhill in many instances, because you're working against gravity. You have to fight to push that bow up. And the more you push up and the more you fight, the more opportunity that arrow has to not go where it's supposed to. I shot a bedded three point mule deer big three by three mature mule deer buck a few years back sneaking in from below and he was bedded and it, he offered me the perfect shot it was 50 yards and because i'd practiced this shot so much i had absolute confidence in it let the arrow fly made a great shot on him and ended up with a really good buck but this was practicing that kneeling uphill shot and one thing you're going to want to practice and you're going to figure out is how you kneel can help you lift the bow so this is maybe even the reverse you can try putting your knee up on this one because you have more clearance when you're aiming high so if you have your front knee up that can and your back knee down that gives you automatic angle up and helps you stay steady on the target now you can also try this with two knees down and maybe even the reverse Heisman, it, depending on the angle that you're shooting at so this is another shot that you're going to want to practice kneeling shooting uphill the last shot I practice for mule deer, and this is one that I encounter a lot, is what I call the squat shot. This is where you've snuck in on deer. Maybe you've got a ridge or something between you and the buck or a piece of sagebrush. You come to full draw out of sight, and then you have to rise up. But if you go to full standing, you're just skylined. The buck's going to see you. He's going to blow out. You're shooting just over the cover, just over the rise. And what that means is sometimes you have to do it in like a chair pose squatting position. I've missed more animals doing this shot than anything. And I didn't realize it until I put two and two together. And I was like, why did I, what went wrong here? It's shoot it, especially when you're shooting uphill and downhill. This can be, it's mostly downhill when you're doing this, to be honest, but it can be very difficult to make a good shot if you haven't practiced it. So what we're going to do is we're going to draw like down low, maybe on your knees 
and then you're going to slowly rise to standing, but you aren't going to go fully up. You're going to be kind of squatting. If you can do take your target out to somewhere where there's brush and actually practice shooting over some brush, this is going to be key for those mule deer encounters. All right, let's talk about pronghorn now, the speed goat. We did some podcast episodes on speed goats, but here's some ways that you can practice with your bow for pronghorn. The first is because there's a lot of opportunity to sit water and sitting water can be a very successful way of hunting for pronghorn. Whenever I draw a pronghorn tag, this is the first shot that I practice because this is not a way that I'm used to shooting. And it's the sitting chair shot. That's practicing for shooting in the blind if you're planning on sitting water. And maybe even if you aren't planning on sitting water, but it's a backup plan, you don't want to get in the blind and be like, I haven't shot sitting down. You want to practice clearing your leg. You want to practice your body position. Sometimes you're in a blind that, I mean, if you want to set your blind up, great. Practice how you're going to hunt. I do that quite often, but for the most part, whatever type of chair I might be sitting in, I'll just practice shooting from that seated position. I actually had my wife do this a lot last year for her first pronghorn hunt. Fortunately for our setup, she could stand and shoot, but I I didn't want her to get in the blind and say, the first time I'm ever shooting sitting down or seated is at an animal. That makes no sense. We practice, 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 practice. And then you go into a hunting situation and you encounter something you've never done before. Yeah, it might work out, but it also has more opportunity to not work out. So the sitting chair shot is one that I always throw in when I've got a pronghorn tag. The second shot for pronghorn goes to that spot and stock. And this I call the long bomb. I like to stretch the distance on pronghorn because it's such open country and you can often watch them go down. Like there's a lot of things that go right. They tend to not jump at those further distances if you've got the right setup, but sometimes that's as close as you can get. So I do practice those further shots if I'm planning on spot and stock antelope hunting. I like to know exactly where that arrow flies and build out, okay, how accurate am I at certain distances? Now, obviously keep this within reason and really don't take shots over where your accuracy would would wane or fail. You know, when you let that arrow go, you want to know with absolute certainty that it's going to be a dead antelope at the end of that blood trail. But I do practice those further shots. Now, I also want to say that if you're practicing those further shots, it's great to practice with field points and get your reps in and control your breathing and, and get really good at making further shots. It's fun on 3D targets. It's good for learning it on the range. If you're doing any kind of 3D shooting, there's always those far shots. You want to do do good on those. But I don't care about shooting field tips at long, long ways on foam targets. What I care about is shooting a broadhead really well. So what you need to do is you need to do the long bomb with whatever broadhead you're going to be hunting with or a practice broadhead or, or whatever. But you want to make sure that what you're shooting at the antelope is consistent at those ranges things start to change and we talked about it in the arrow podcast where a guy thinks their setup's tuned they throw a broadhead on and it flies everything's multiplied at distance so what might be a little bit at 20 yards is multiplied at 60 we want to make sure whatever we're going to be shooting at at a pronghorn in the field we've shot our broadheads at that distance really well at the range so that's one that i practice for pronghorn now the last is for spot and stock but can also be in that makeshift Maybe you're in an area, you're like, I found this awesome water hole and I don't have a blind. I'm just going to sit here behind some sagebrush and wait for these pronghorn to come in or you're stalking in and there's not enough to even get on your knees and take a shot. This is the sitting on the ground shot. I've made more sitting on the ground shots on pronghorn spot and stock than I think I have any other way because I'm drawing out of sight. I'm almost... Sometimes I've actually been like laying back. It's a very, you might want to try this. Nearly laying back on the ground, draw the bow back, get anchored, and then sit up. It's like a very good core workout. Things you want to think about, the limb hitting the ground. You want to think about your body position and the way that you're set up. I've crawled in on a lot of bucks in very little cover. And I know that if I were to get on my knees and do that whole draw process, I look like this lurking predator. But if I can draw out of sight, sit up, in a, in a calm, smooth way, I can often get that shot off without the pronghorn noticing. And it's been the key to a lot of spot and stock success. All right, for you whitetail hunters, I did not leave you out. We are going to talk about whitetails. I've done a lot of whitetail hunting across the West. My primary whitetail hunting states are Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming. So a lot of my whitetail knowledge is Western big game whitetails, but I have hunted out of tree stands here and there in 
pretty much most of the states. That is one of the shots that I, I don't always hunt whitetail. So if you're a Western guy, this probably rings true. It's like whitetail tag is the one that you hunt when you don't draw the mule deer tag. It's like a general tag in most of the places a lot of people live. A lot of people across the U.S. hunt whitetails and they still don't practice these shots. So I think that these are really good shots to practice wherever you hunt whitetail deer. The first is an elevated shot. And this is primarily practicing that tree stand shot. When I practice this, I actually set a tree stand up, but I've got a second story house. I shoot off my balcony quite often. It's a little bit different, right? But I get that practice of shooting from an elevated platform. Don't fall off your roof. Don't blame me. I've talked about this in a past podcast. Like do not do, not do something stupid. Don't get on a ladder and be unsafe, right? Follow all your safety protocols, but practice shooting from that elevated stand. Now, if you don't have a lot of space to shoot, you don't have a place where you could set up a tree stand, that's okay. I've practiced this shot various ways. And what you're trying to do is get your body form for the the downhill angle, as well as understanding your hold a little bit. You can also do this fairly close if you don't have a lot of room. This is another one that you could practice at home. I'll get up on a picnic table and I'll put a target right below the table. So I'm just simulating the same type of buck below a stand kind of shot. And then you just start moving that target out a little bit to, to simulate different angles of shooting from an elevated platform. It's just getting that repetition of practice, practice, practice how you're going to be shooting. If you're in a tree stand, that's your primary way of hunting. All your shots are going to be shooting downhill. If you shoot uphill from a tree, well, I guess it can work out where you've got like a hill behind you and you, you're shooting uphill. I've never had that set up. Surprisingly, because like in the mountains, I guess there's setups that I've had for elk, but I've never had an opportunity to shoot one uphill from a tree stand. I will say most of your shots are going to be downhill. So you want to practice that angle shot. And the best way to do it, anchor. I, I think a lot of people exaggerate this, but the problem is if you are new to bow hunting, you don't realize, okay, you, you're drawn back, something's below you. So you're drawn, you draw back and then you like move your front arm down and, and you're changing your anchor point. What you want to do is you want to bend at the hips. And I think a lot of people over-exaggerate it. I mean, you just want to keep your form the same up top and then move at the hips just like you are in the lean out, lean back shot for elk. The next shot for whitetail is the obstruction shot. I feel like whether I am spot and stock hunting whitetails, which I love to do, or hunting from a, a stand, there's always shots where there's brush in the way. This is something you want to practice and understand how your bow reacts to brush and how you shoot through and guess where your arrow is going to be. So if you've got multiple pins, this is great to practice with multiple pins where you've got, let's say, a branch coming across at 20 yards and the buck's out at 30. Okay, your arrow is going to go over that branch. So anticipating where your arrow flight is in the trajectory and whether you're going to hit the branch or not. Throw some branches in front of stuff. Try it downhill as well if you can do it from a tree stand or even just try it in your backyard maybe you can get a get a potted plant or something like i used to do this i used to do this obstruction shot in an exaggerated way in my backyard with a garbage can so i would set the target at 30 yards i'd put the garbage can at 20 yards and do like a 3d target i would draw back i would lower myself down to where the garbage can actually covered the entire vitals of the buck and made sure that my 30 pin cleared the 20 yard obstruction and then let it fly. Like I couldn't even see the exact spot that I was shooting, but it helped me learn, okay, here's how the trajectory works. The opposite happens when you've got a clear shot. Let's say you've got your pin, 30-yard pin on a vitals of a buck, and your 20-yard pin is on the branch above you. You always have to look out for obstructions above the target or above your line of sight. Those are the ones you hit, not the ones below or covering at the animal, if that makes sense. So practicing those obstruction shots is key, especially when you're spot and stock hunting whitetails. I think most of the opportunities I have, I'm like tweaking my body to get around some kind of obstruction. But practicing that a lot has, man, increased my success on a lot of different game animals. Now, the last one, this is specifically for single pin shooters, or maybe you got a slider sight, is the holdover for moving out. There's a lot of times where I've been hunting, especially times where I've been spot and stock hunting whitetails in more open country. And if you're during the rut, there's a lot of great whitetail hunts during the rut and those deer don't stay still that often. So you'll be drawn back. You're like, oh, he's following that trail and you're ah, ah, grunt, grunt, grunt. And he stops 10 more paces out. So you might have to, maybe you have your pin set for close and just practicing those holdover shots. 
These are really good to practice no matter what you're hunting, especially if you've got a single pin. You want to know where your arrow trajectory is throughout the entire path of the arrow. So if I've got my pin set at, let's say, 20 yards, and he's, I'm guessing, 35, I want to know how high to hold. Do I hold the top of the back? Where do I hold? Practice setting your pin, going to an off distance, and then shooting for that holdover or something moving out. I would say the same as if you've got multi-pin fixed sight doing the same where you're shooting the gaps between your pins shoot for if you got a 20 and a 30 and a 40 shoot for 45 shoot for 23 shoot for 27 right the the area shoot for the air and practice that holdover now this is specifically targeted for alaska hunters or people that have drawn a very coveted moose tag moose hunting or canadian hunters we got a lot of canadian listeners Moose hunting is a lot of fun, and moose hunting during the rut is such a rush. You get these big lumbering bulls that come in, and they get dumb sometimes. Sometimes they don't. There's been moose hunts that I've been on where you call them in, and they are on it. And then there's times where they just get crazy brain, right? But there are a few things that happen specifically when you're moose hunting and calling in moose that I think are good shots to practice. The first I call the torque shot. So when you're hunting moose, very similar to the way that the elk come in and you have to hold for a while, I'd probably still practice that hold shot. Now, moose, they do this when you've got the collar behind and they get that like crazy eye, their eyes just like bulging out of their head and they aren't thinking, their head's going back and forth. And they're coming into that call and they're like, I'm not going to stop. So they're coming in, they're courting to you. You have no shot, no shot, no shot, shoulder, shoulder, shoulder. But you don't really want to give away where you're at because I've done that and I've, and it didn't work well for me. It's like, okay, he's moving. He's twisting around. My feet are planted. I'm in like boggy muck, my boots or whatever. I could probably move, but I just don't want to risk it. And now he's walked past me and you're almost turning severely left or right. You're really like, instead of leaning out, you're really torquing your body. So this is something that is really good to practice. How do I balance that bow and torque my body left or right? As I'm following that bull, what am I doing with the bow? What happens is guys move their arm and they put string pressure into their face. So let's say he's moving your right, you're shooting right-handed. So your left hand's holding the bow. The bull walks from your right to left and you're following him. He's set up your leg, everything's set great. And then you're just following him as he moves and they just move their hand and it puts this weird pressure on the string through their face. And when you let go, it's not exactly where it needs to be. And that could be the difference of hitting a bull in the shoulder and not recovering him or hitting him exactly where you should. They're a giant target. We get overconfident. We rush the shots on ones that we feel like is a gimme. And something like that can make or break a hunt. So practicing what happens when you apply unnecessary undue torque to your body and practicing ways to kind of cheat it a little bit. So I think just being cognizant of it, going through the reps and practicing it, that's a great shot for moose. Another shot I love for moose is they are a big animal. One thing that I will do when I'm practicing, if I've got a moose tag, I shoot. I want to shoot a really good shot. Maybe it's, I don't care what the distance is, 20 yards, 30 yards, 40 yards, whatever. Maybe you got two targets. So I'll set out a 20 and a 40-yard target. I'll shoot the first shot, maybe hold it for a long time, shoot the first shot, and then I want to shoot that second shot as like a follow-up shot as fast as possible. If you go on my YouTube channel, you can see a, a Eastern Canadian moose hunt in Newfoundland. And I got two shots off. And it's because I practice just getting that second shot off fast. So it's boom, shoot. And you're probably going to get a follow-up shot on that moose. And always take that follow-up shot. It doesn't matter how good you shot that bull. If you got one arrow in him, two's better. Reload, draw back make another good shot and maybe change the distance. So if you've got a single pin, set the pin and then practice that kind of holdover, just that quick wham. I, I've hunted with guys and they're like, uh, most animals that I've shot with a bow, I probably get two arrows in them. Like bigger animals that you call an elk. I don't know. I've got a lot of second shots off and I'm fast at it because <laughs> I practice it. And that second shot needs to be just as good as the first, especially on a bigger animal. You want them to go down. So that's one practice shot that I do a lot is that quick shoot, quick follow-up, readjust, draw back, let her rip. Now the last shot for moose, I like to call the close and brushy. This is where you're in the willows, you're in the thick stuff, and you've got a bull coming in. The cover might be really close to the animal, 
One thing that I always do is I go to some more brushy spots. I've got a place where I practice by a river and it's got all the moose kind of terrain and I'll throw a target out. Intentionally, I'll keep a couple arrows that are for this because I, I tear a few fletchings. I intentionally sh- shoot through some stuff. Like I want to know how well that arrow reacts and if that stuff close to the body is going to be okay to shoot through. Like shooting through a little bit of obstructed brush. I'm not just talking about shooting through large saplings or trees, but in brushy country, when you call in a bull moose, you need to know how that arrow is going to react. And what I found is if the if you're shooting through brush that's close to you, it doesn't often work very well if the target's kind of unobstructed further. But if the brush is close to the animal, oftentimes it's not enough to knock that arrow off course when the obstruction's fairly light and close to the target. Now, our next shot is going to be for sheep and goat hunts. A few years back, I was hunting Alaska for mountain goats. And one of the problems that I had was at the tops where the goats were living, we were getting some gusts. And I feel like I did not, at the time, have the best hold for the wind. I think getting a wind shot and practicing shooting in the wind, I did a whole podcast on shooting in the wind. So go back, review that podcast. I can't remember the number of it right now off the top of my head, but is a great episode for understanding how your bow reacts and ways to cheat the wind. If you have a sheep or goat permit this year, or you're just hunting the West a lot, absolutely do yourself a favor and practice a shot. You will encounter it on the sheep mountain. You will encounter it at mountain goats. I don't know if I've, I've hunted them quite a few times. I'm trying to think of a time where it wasn't windy or at least had wind days, severe wind days during the hunt. So this is a shot that is just a must know and to be very proficient at. If you can be proficient at shooting in the wind, your options for good stocks and success are pretty much limitless. The next shot, these are speaking to me right now because I'm thinking about that sheep tag, the cliff shot. That's, That's getting above the animal and shooting down. These could be fairly far shots because the the horizontal distance is i've talked about it before if you're familiar with archery your arrow flight drop compensation is the distance of not the line of sight but how much ground beneath the angle it's covering a squared plus b squared equals c squared we're shooting pythagorean theorem here but what that means is your line of sight might be 100 yards and your shot might be 38. So you're like, yeah, I'm range friendly. It's a 38-yard shot. Yeah, it is. But it's also like shooting a 100-yard shot. You need to know how to execute that shot. And there's a lot of things with body position, with angling, with just where to aim and how to hold the bow that you got to learn by shooting these cliff shots. And by practicing these cliff shots, you're going to be a lot better. Probably, let's be real, that's going to be your shot one of your shots. The next shot is one of the harder shots that people that don't live in the mountains, it's hard to practice this if you don't live in the mountains, but if you've got a mountain nearby, go out and do this shot. I call it the cross canyon shot. Uh, And what I'm looking for is opposing slopes where I'm shooting on a steep hillside. I'm shooting across a canyon, maybe 40, 50 yards, doesn't matter. But let's say I've snuck in on a bedded ram. It's steep country. And now my body's on a slope and I'm shooting it an animal that's maybe it's level, maybe it's downhill, whatever. But practicing shooting with your body on a slope, and I'm not talking about straight down the slope, but I'm across the slope, perpendicular to the slope. Because what happens is your eye, your line of sight kind of tricks you for drawing back and leveling. And the hardest part is getting that bow level. So I didn't realize this. I've told this story before, but I, I snuck in on a coos deer buck, was shooting off a cliff, this cross shot. And every time I drew back, my arrow kept popping off my string. Well, what was happening was the angle was, I was canting the bow so bad that it was actually hitting, like the broadhead was hitting the riser and popping the air off. So I had to lean back into the hill, level the bow first, and then draw back. You want to work with gravity in your favor. So I like to balance the bow first and lean it actually more into the hill. So once I get to full draw, gravity pulls that limb into level. This is a really important shot to learn how to do and to practice because you don't want to be fighting a bow that you're trying to level. You put weird torque on your your grip and you make a bad shot. And this is like the shot that of all shots. You you can't redo these tags generally. Like this is 
that's the thing. There's a lot of this tag that I have, this desert sheep tag. There's a lot of pressure on it, man. And I think the pressure on myself of being like, I need to, if I find the ram that I want to shoot and I get in there, I want to send one arrow and I want that arrow to be perfect. And I'm going to practice these shots that are actually very difficult to make. But once you practice them, they aren't that difficult. You don't want your first shot that you've ever taken like this to be on a sheep. I mean, it will probably, it could work out, but there's a lot of things that you're going to learn during the summer practice that I think are absolutely necessary for this type of tag. Now, the last species we're going to cover is bears. Fall bear hunting is a lot of fun. Many times they're incidental to a hunt. In certain places, you can pick up a bear tag over the counter. You're hunting elk and deer. It's like, ooh, a bear pops up. In my lifetime of guiding, I've guided a lot of bear hunters. I will say with absolute certainty bears are the number one animal that gets missed and i believe that that happens for a lot of reasons uh the first is i think people get overly excited and rightfully so it's very exciting but like lining up on a predator there's just something exciting about it you're like yeah if i mess this up it could attack me and black bears generally that's not going to happen brown bears it might uh, but this is a, this is like a very different kind of animal. There's just something about predators that get people extra amped. Honestly, the other thing is a lot of the times there's like a, a dark colored coat and this happens with rifle hunting. I see it all the time. A lot of rifle shots get missed because you're shooting it like this pure black target and with black crosshairs. And it's just as hard to like pick a point. They just see a bear and they shoot at a bear. The same thing happens with bow hunting. I think people overestimate the size of bears first off so they see a bear and like oh it's so big how could i miss it and they miss it because they're just shooting at the animal not shooting aim small miss small okay so one of the first shots that i like to practice when it comes to practicing for bear hunting i do this a lot in the spring is the no dot shot i'll shoot at a target that's all one color and practice picking a spot on something that's very monotone where it doesn't have a lot of definition the hide on a bear, especially in the fall, puffs them up and they you just kind of lose that definition. You In the moment, people lose where that leg's at. Where is this? Where is that? And they don't focus on picking a spot. One of my favorite ways to practice is to get a 3D bear target that's all black and shoot at that. And you're going to find that if you start picking those spots, you're going to start making better shots. One thing that I encourage is when I do this kind of practice, I shoot, I pull my arrow, I shoot, I pull my arrow, I shoot, I pull my arrow. And I just focus on picking a spot with nothing specific to aim at and executing a perfect shot and hitting where I'm aiming. And that is something that just slows your mind down and makes you pay attention to what's going on and it makes a better shot. I think that the bears that I see get missed is because of a lot of rushing. And when you aren't used to shooting something as big and fluffy and probably looks a lot bigger and you're just, everything's a little... I don't know, perceived different when it comes to bears. That no dot shot is key. Now, the next shot I like to do is I like to practice a lot of precise shooting when it comes to bears. Especially if you're talking, you're going on a big bear hunt. You're in Alaska, you're hunting brown bear, grizzly bear, whatever. Maybe you're just hunting black bears. You're elk hunting, you're on the ground. You still want to make that one shot count. This is with anything, but I think that practicing if you know like hey i'm definitely going on a spring bear hunt you want to practice those precise shots at every yardage and just really really fine tune that getting good groups at whatever yardage you're shooting and hitting exactly where you want that arrow to go that goes for every animal but i think with bears it's like the more you focus on precision the more you're going to slow down pay attention make a good shot and i think that because it's an animal that gets missed the most being very precise is never a bad thing now, the last shot that I like with bears goes into that same reason I think people miss them. Their adrenaline starts to spike and they start to miss. One of the things that I like to do when it comes to spring bear, and this, I, I mean, honestly, a lot of these translate to a lot of other species. It's what I call the adrenaline shot. So you're going to do some kind of physical workout, box jumps, burpees, jumping jacks. I don't care what it is. I want that heart rate pumping. I want you to be tired and I want you to draw that bow back and maybe even shoot under a little bit of pressure. Be like, I got to shoot within however fast. Set a timer. I don't care what it is. Build some kind of pressure. Make a wager with a buddy. Do some whatever it is. You need to get that adrenaline going and practice shooting when it's like, yeah, my heart's pumping. How do I control it? How do I slow it down? I'm out of breath. 
because it simulates in some way that adrenaline of that kind of blur. Dude, work yourself up into a, you know when you work out and your head gets like everything just seems off? Do that and then shoot. Be safe, but do that and then shoot because I think that that's a really good way to practice for that high adrenaline, making a good shot and then combining precision and no dot with those three things. You're gonna be well on your way to making good shots on bears. I think that practicing all these shots is really good no matter what tag you have because it's something that you want to kind of keep in the repertoire. Make a list of these shots. Actually, I'll make a list of these shots. You can go on my website and copy it and save it and make your own little checklist or whatever. I think that these will be really good for your summer practice. It's going to make you a lot better archer, a lot better bow hunter. And then if you have one of these specific tags, really increasing those kind of shots that you're probably most likely to encounter, the ones that are the most difficult and need the most practice. And by doing that, when you encounter it in the field, it's not going to be the first time you've seen it. You're going to be an old pro, an old vet, and you're going to know how to make that shot when it counts. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. There's a lot of great ways to practice, and it's really fun to get out in the summer to start building these scenarios in your head and prepare for the tag in your pocket. If you don't have one of these tags this year, think about what you want to do in the future. It's never too late to get started. It's a lot of fun. It makes your practice more fun, and it makes you a better archer in the long run. So run through these things. I think that you're going to really benefit from it. Now, next week, we've got another great podcast planned for this archery series, Archery Month. It's going to be talking about anticipating the jump on certain animals. One of the ways that I would say I've missed more animals or if a bad shot happens is because the animal isn't where it was when you release the arrow. And there are ways that you can understand the way specific animals decide to flee at the sign of danger. Maybe they hear your bow go off. Maybe something's not right. Maybe they see something, hear something, whatever. We call it jumping the string. And we're going to anticipate the jump and anticipate what certain animals do and how you can adjust to catch it in the right spot. There are times where you need to aim different because you've stalked in, you've done all the hard work, and that animal just matrixes the arrow. And sometimes it's unavoidable, but I've got a good story I can share with you guys. And we're going to just talk about how different species react. So I think this is a very valuable thing to understand, especially if there's animals that you've never hunted, or maybe every year you're like, man, I got in close and he ducked the string. Let's understand the signs and the ways to adjust to make a good shot. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then we're going to follow it up with one of my favorite topics. And I'm going to, this is uh, two weeks from now, we're going to talk with one of my favorite hunters, Nate Simmons. We're going to talk about mule deer archery spot and stock tactics. I think that this is probably one of the best podcasts you might hear, especially on the topic of mule deer. I'm really excited for that one. So a lot of great things in the works coming up. And then next month, we are going to go into elk month. We're going to prepare in August for elk season. If you guys love this podcast, there's a little bit of a promo at the beginning, but we do have Live Wild Apparel on my website right now. There's a lot of great designs, hats, beanies, t-shirts, sweatshirts. I hope you guys enjoy those. Feel free. If you guys like this podcast, I got a lot of people being like, hey, how can we support the podcast? We love listening. You've helped me out so many ways. Thank you guys just for listening. I appreciate it. But if you guys want some of these awesome designs is something you're looking for, feel free, head over there, check it out. We've got our pre-order on right now, but that'll end this weekend. So if you if you do a pre-order, we're doing the pre-order so we know how many to make, and then we're going to anticipate the order. I anticipate once we build the rest on top of that pre-order, they'll probably sell out pretty quickly. So if you want to make sure that you're in on something, there are limited quantities on some of the hats and other things which some of them are almost sold out, to be honest. But if you go on there and, and get in on this pre-order the next day or two, you should be set and, and stuff will be shipping beginning of next week. If you're listening to this podcast later, there should be stuff on there. So go check it out. We're going to continually have new designs. And if there's things you guys want to see, please check back often and let us know. Send me a message. You know, there's a lot of ways that I, I love to hear what people want. We've already got some suggestions from people that have been like, hey, I'd like to see this. And we're actually going to be implementing it in our next run. So thank you guys so much. I appreciate all the support. Thank you guys for the support of this podcast. One of the companies that 
you know, helps put this podcast on is a company that I've worked with for years. And the reason I work with them is because I, I genuinely love their products. And I think that they have a lot of stuff out there for a lot of range of hunters. And that's Vortex Optics, because you've heard me talk about it. I, I mean, optics are so integral to my style of hunting. They have everything for whitetail hunters to elk hunters, no matter what you're chasing, Vortex has it. They have a lot of stuff that's specific for certain pursuits, a lot of stuff for long range shooting and a lot of stuff for Western big game hunting, which I really value is there's some really great products out there. Some of my favorite, I mean, we got to talk about binoculars, right? It's the most integral piece of gear in my kit. If somebody's like, what, I need one hunting item or optic, which one should I spend money on? I'm absolutely going to say binoculars. My personal preference favorite pair of binoculars is the UHD Razor UHD 10 by fifties. I really like it because I feel like it's very versatile for Western big game hunting. I like the 50 mil objective because it's got more light gathering capability. And most of the species we're hunting are crepuscular, meaning they're early mornings, late evenings, and you want as much light gathering as possible. In my opinion. Now, another option, one that I've used for years and I kind of go back, I'm very fortunate that I've been able to to use a lot of the different types of binoculars is the same, the UHD 12 by 50s. It just gives you a little extra punch. If you're in a lot of open country, you're chasing mule deer, you're chasing sheep, goats, whatever, that 12 power is awesome. Some guys ask like, is it too much in the timber? I got really good at holding them steady and I didn't really notice too much bounce with it. I could handhold it still and still had a lot of success with it. I've just been using the 10s a lot lately because it's it's good for that timber stock. It's good it's good for everything. The 10s kind of like your it's just very widely accepted and used. I guess 10 by 50s are that optic where it's like it's your workhorse. It's your go-to. It's the it's the one in the canister that always goes off, I guess. Um so that that's just some of the things that they have there. You can go check them out vortexoptics.com. You could also I don't know if they want me to say this, but if you go to the Go Hunt store and use code LiveWild, you actually get a discount on most Vortex Optics. A lot of these, there's no discount anywhere else. So that's something to think about. Until next week, I'm just going to say, practice how you hunt. There's no better way to do it. Catch you guys later. <laughs>